We are entering chapter eight of the book of Mark. That means that we're about halfway through a reading and examination of one of the accounts of Jesus' life on earth. Now, today I'll be putting together a few different teachings from the last six months as we get to some huge implications for what we call table manners. Table manners are not if you leave your elbows on the table or if you say grace before you start eating. Table manners in our context today have more to do with who is invited to the table and even the extent we allow them to participate in our lives. Now, I am sure that you've noticed by now that Jesus talks about things that are close to our hearts. He talks about money, he talks about relationships, and of course, he talks about food. The stories of Jesus that we have been walking through as a church are important because they show us how we understand the divine and how he is constantly communicating to us through normal everyday occurrences that just happen to turn supernatural when he gets involved. Now, today's story comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 10. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation today. About this time, another large group had gathered and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. His disciples replied, How are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Jesus asked, How much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground, and they took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread to all the crowd. A few small fish were found too. So Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. He just randomly found a couple small fish. Oh, there's some fish in the, in the grass. Let's, um, let's bless these and see what happens. Bizarre. They ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftovers. There were about 4,000 people in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home And they, after they had eaten. Immediately after this, he got into a boat with his disciples and crossed over to the region of Delmanthia. This is another crazy Jesus story, and I absolutely love it. But we've got a lot we need to talk about today. So hopefully you're ready. Get a pen and paper and uh, your Bible, and let's see what we can do. Now, please let me know if you're having deja vu yet. There is, this is the second story about Jesus feeding a few thousand people in only a few chapters. With that said, they seem pretty similar, but I wanted to talk about the differences as well as the similarities. When considering the differences, 
Let's look at the circumstances the episodes are surrounded by. In one version, Jesus had just gotten off a boat, and the other version, Jesus had been with the people for three days. We learned about that one today. Now, uh, the numbers are different too. The second account shows us one fewer thousand people, um, two more loaves of bread, and five fewer baskets of leftovers. So we've got some differences in the numbers. One version leaves the narrative and goes, um, takes Jesus north to Bethsaida, and the other goes west to Delmenthia. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong. Lastly, the audience, the, the first account. So Jesus spoke to a Jewish crowd, and in the second, he broadens his audience base to speak to Gentiles as well. There are enough differences that we can understand these as two distinct stories about Jesus' life and not just a mistake in the process of putting the Bible together. In fact, Matthew makes the same notes about the differences that we just looked at. How about the similarities? Uh, let us look at four of these as well. Now, first of all, there is the location. Both stories are in a desert location, isolated, but still able to draw a big, hungry crowd. Secondly, Jesus was stricken with compassion. He said that in the first that they were sheep without a shepherd. He saw people that needed both a physical meal and spiritual meal at the same time. Third is the logistics. Now, logistics were a problem. The disciples were confused both times as where Jesus was going to get enough food. Now, this probably spoke more to their hesitation of feeding Gentiles than the belief that Jesus would do a miracle for someone other than God's chosen people. That's a problem. We'll come back to that near the end. Lastly, Jesus has been breaking down social and purity barriers in order to call people unto himself. It appears that he is more concerned with the fact that people need him than who those people are. Now let's keep those differences and similarities in mind as we apply them to two overarching thoughts. One is what Robert Weber calls a cosmic narrative, which is God's story. And the other is a Markian narrative, which is what we are reading through about Jesus through the lens of Mark's writings. There is a chart in the show notes on YouTube that you can check out if you're a visual learner like me and that helps you. Now, the cosmic narrative is exhaustive and points out so much of what God does and has done, but I only want to talk about a few of them today in relation to uh, the Markian narrative. Now, the cosmic narrative, there is the first footprint that we'll look at, sorry, footprint that we'll look at. And that is Eden. God walked among us, Genesis 3.8. Now, at the same time, the incarnation of Jesus, which marks the first footprint for Mark, God came to earth, walked with us, and desired to build a relationship with mankind. The second footprint that we'll look at 
on the two narratives has to do with Israel. Now, God's chosen nation to establish his kingdom on earth. This corresponds with the feeding in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 6. The first feeding was the people of Israel. Now, think back to our discussion on Exodus 16. God fed the Israelites through manna and quail. During the time of the Israelites being front and center in God's story, we had Moses giving temporary relief to the problems of sin, sacrifice, and spiritual food. David would even come along confirming and establishing the line in which Christ was to be born. That brings us to the next set of footprints, the Gentiles in the cosmic narrative and the second feeding for the Markian narrative. John 1.14, the word became flesh and walked among us. Jesus came for the Gentile people as well as the Jewish people. Now, through Jesus, the separation lines disappear, and we all come to Jesus now. Our scripture today in Mark 8 shows this great feeding that happens and brings Uh, Sorry, and begins to include anyone who needs healing for their souls. The last set I included is that in both narratives that there is always a future. There are things to come. Pentecost will launch the early church. Jesus will speak of the things to come in Mark 13 and 16. And I am excited about this. I'm excited about this teaching because it solidifies the ultimate redeemer in our Christian teaching, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, as we get closer to those teachings, we'll start to build a framework around how to think of the future in a Pentecostal way. And by that, I mean in a mindset of hope, fulfillment, and completion. Scripture speaks of a new heaven and a new earth in the end of days. And I always get stressed out with talking about the second coming topics because there is so much of what people think and they relate it to what they think is in the Bible, but really it just comes from fiction and then applies to the Bible. Now, we're going to have so much fun looking at this stuff through the lens of Scripture and the hope that Christ brings. I know for me, I grew up being afraid of many things, the end of days being at the top of the list. The more I learn about Jesus, the more I am shedding those fears and trading them in for confidence. There are some implications to these two layered narratives with all of that. But if your understanding of futureness stresses you out, and causes you panic attacks, then it isn't from Jesus. Why would he change his tone and his narrative from my yoke is easy and my burden is light to this is going to be stressful and you're going to panic? Both the cosmic and Markian narratives are built around relationship. God wants relationship with you and is clearly doing whatever he can to get there. We've seen that through both narratives. There is a desire to build relationship with mankind. Consider that loving God. There is also a desire to include more people in that love. Consider that loving people. Love God, love people. The one phrase that you will hear at CT more than any other. Here are where table manners come in from the beginning of this message. 
Psalm 117 and the first bit of 118. Now it says this, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth. All. For his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. And then, and then 118, the, the first um, four verses. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all of Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, let them repeat, his faithful love endures forever. The key word there is forever. It goes on. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. For anyone who calls upon the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. The author speaks of praise going up from all the people of the earth. That is the detail not worth missing. Two groups of people and two feedings. All the people of the earth are invited to the table, clean, unclean, rich, and poor. Now, remember the logistics problem the disciples were having? Let's clarify. They have already been feeding and have seen a feeding miracle. They should know the script. Instead, there is this this error of, are you really going to feed these people the same way as you fed us? Now, last week I made this statement at the in-person service. The best testimonies are filled with people who are different than you. I firmly believe that. Who are you uninviting from Jesus' tables? Are your manners keeping people from getting close to the hope that Jesus is? Are we hogging God? St. Augustine talked about our Mark 8 scripture as a rich banquet. He illustrates it by talking about the bread and the breaking being the word, the word of God. And we take this bread together, and then I offer Jesus to you, and it's multiplied as you accept and continue to share. He said we are made rich in this banquet. Now, every generation of Christians have their battles that they want to fight and the hills they're willing to die on. What if we joined in the beauty of the two narratives and handed in our weapons and exchanged them for cutlery at the banquet? Let us be known for radical inclusion, just like Jesus, radical inclusion of saints and sinners alike. Jesus is inviting us all to have better table manners today. Friends, September is coming soon. Summer's coming to a close. We are almost in August. Let's start now filling the table with strangers and friends who need Jesus as much as we do. When we assume that we are perfect and we assume that we have everything together, we know our table manners and we've got them down. It's usually a pretty good indication that we got work to do. 
Let's include more people this year. Let's tell more people about Jesus. Let's love our city like never before. Our table manners could probably use some polishing. I know mine could. This is a year that is going to be amazing because the future is bright here at CT. Friends, we've got a lot of work to do to tell people about how good God is. Let's not get bogged down in the weeds and caught in things that don't matter right now. Jesus is the king, and he is inviting us all to a great banquet.